comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. This is going to be a special bonus episode. Out Now is a film podcast that is Abe and I normally discussing new movies weekly, and we also bring in discussion about movie trailers and box office and, you know, have some retro review fun and games and stuff. But this week, yeah, as I said, we're doing a bonus episode, and um, with me, and I'll explain what the bonus episode is in just a second, but with me, I have Adam Gentry. Hello. And Mark Hoban. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. So, this is, uh, as I said, a bonus episode, and what we're doing tonight, and we've done this kind of before, we, we did a, we're going to do a kind of an, an indie art house film overview of kind of a lot of the recent independent and art house films that have come out since around January, since to just kind of go over some things. Um, uh, key that's, film. That's kind of why you had me and Adam on, right? Because we're the most intellectual people you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, personally, I'm, stro- I'm stroking my chin right now, you just can't see I've actually put on my monocle just so I feel appropriately dressed for this podcast episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the yeah the idea was we're going to go over a few films that you know maybe not everyone has necessarily seen or heard of, but we felt that you know there's a lot of really good and some good and some mediocre, but mainly some pretty good ones that uh, are worthy of discussion. And I just want to you know call out some in particular. This actually started because um, I believe Adam saw the kid with a bike. I believe he saw you saw it last year, right? I saw it at uh, AFI in November. Yes, and uh, you talked, you spoke highly of it then, and um, it's since been released now in in, in a limited release. And uh, Mark and I have both seen it, so that kind of spurred the inspiration for having a conversation about that film. And then I figured, why not talk about a couple of the other uh, somewhat popular independent art house films coming that are currently or have been in theaters for a bit. So that's basically what we're going to be doing tonight. Uh, let me do a few, uh, some little housekeeping before we get started. Um, let's see, depending on when this episode gets released, you probably just heard our Wrath of the Titans episode, and following that will be an episode about The Raid. And um, let's see, iTunes reviews and ratings, always good to have those, quick and simple, be nice to get them. And of course, OutNow now has its own Twitter name, its own Twitter handle. It took Abe and I a while to actually give OutNow its own dedicated Twitter handle, but we've done it. It is twitter.com slash OutNow underscore podcast. So uh, feel free to follow the official OutNow Twitter page if you feel like it. Yeah, so with that out of the way, let's uh, let's just move into things. We're going to talk about the kid with a bike first. Hello. 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 Hello.
So, um, let's, uh, let's talk about it. The Kid with the Bike is a new film from the Dardain brothers, I believe, a pair of German, or German, <laughs> a pair of Belgian filmmakers who, um, they have a, I guess they have a, a predilection for making films in a sort of naturalistic sort of style, I guess that's fair to say, and, uh, this film in particular follows a uh, 11-year-old boy who has recently been basically dumped into a foster care, into foster care, and is kind of... Seeking to find his father as well as his bike, his one most prized possession, and um, along the way he kind of meets up with another woman, uh, Samantha, played by Cecile de France, who uh, he ends up kind of becoming, she becomes kind of a, a semi-guardian for him, and he deals with trying to seek out his father and dealing with this new relationship and growing up, as it were. So uh, with all that said, um, Adam, what, 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 do you, what do you think of Kid with the Bike? I've been a fan of the, the Dardenne brothers for, for a few years. I had I'd actually not heard of them uh, before reading uh, one of uh, some, some of Roger Ebert's website, and he spoke highly of them, and I thought I would you know check them out and whatever. And, you know, the thing with the Dardenne brothers, you, you reference their style. They're, they're very naturalistic. They use handheld cameras a lot of time, natural light. They pretty much never use music. They're very naturalistic. These are working class people um, that they're telling stories about. And I almost like to think of their stories as parables. You know, it, it's very much the kind of thing where you could envision someone sitting down and saying, you know, there once was a young boy who lived, you know, in a foster. You know, you, you could very easily see someone kind of telling a story. Um, I think the movie's really good. Um, I don't think it quite reaches the heights of some of their other films, but I think it's really effective at conveying this young man's desperation and his dogged determination to find his father again. One thing I really, really want to highlight about the film is the level of suspense that it's able to generate. Because there's a moment in this movie, and I won't spoil it and say exactly what it is that happens, but the young boy, Cyril, he does something um, uh, violent. And it was the kind of thing where the entire theater gasped and i can you know think of you know one of the most you know let's see i saw immortals last year and people just kind of sat there and watched the movie and yet you know there are people getting you know cut in half and blown to bits and whatever and people just kind of sat there and regarded the screen where with the kid with a the bike there was just this little quick moment and all of a sudden everybody was just immediately invested um so i i really like uh the kid with a bike I, I think it's uh, I think it's a really solid piece of work from a couple of my favorite filmmakers uh, working today. Mark. Yeah, I uh, enjoyed uh, the kid with the bike as well. Um, I really appreciated the sort of natural setting and the sort of atmosphere that the Dardine brothers provided. And I think uh, what really made the film for me is the uh, performance by the young actor um, Thomas Dorette. 
or Doré? One of those, yeah. Okay. Doré, yeah. So I thought he was really captivating. Um, I thought his performance was also very natural. And uh, in many cases, I think, you know, he sort of underplays. Uh, and he's probably going under the direction of the of the directors. But, you know, sometimes he doesn't speak. And, and other times he's just silent. And, and I thought those scenes actually portrayed so much more than if he had been screaming or, or explaining why he was upset or things like that. So I really thought it was more than just a film uh, with him in it. It was almost like like candid, captured portrait of his actual life. And I, I thought it was really well done. So that's actually kind of what made the film for me the most. Um, and I can go into uh, things about that I thought were issues, but uh, I thought that was the reason why I really enjoyed the film. All right. Um, yeah, I uh, really enjoyed this movie, too. And... Um... The main things I enjoyed about it are both the perform the performances by yes the two, the two leads uh, yeah for Thomas Durrett as uh, the boy and uh, Cecile de Francis Samantha. Now I like Thomas Durrett, I like the character of Sir. I really liked how, yes, it did feel very natural and he was very. There is a level of how involved he was in everything, in a lot of the film that I admired, and I mean that both kind of on an emotional level where he's dealing with of various issues that occur throughout the film and on a physical level. Um, there's a lot of him, I mean, besides riding his bike, there's a lot of him putting himself into these situations where he's, like, evading his caretakers. Like, he, he early on, earlier in the film, he has a lot of, he's doing a lot of running away from his caretakers because he really wants to find his dad. And there's a lot of that aspect. There's a lot of him, um, basically just try, he's acting almost like a mini detective where he's trying to find his father and he's going to all these different people and he's trying to find find clues to where his father could be and there's like there's something about that that I just really enjoyed and then yeah when it gets to I guess the later half of the film where he starts to get into some other questionable actions I really liked just I guess seeing his watching his performance to me was very strong and yeah overall I really liked his his performance in this film and i also really like uh, cecile de france this, this film is samantha and for for a very particular for a very particular reason as i was watching the film i feel like it, it there was a time when it, it's i was questioning like why samantha was doing certain things making certain choices and while what while watching the film at that point i was i was thinking well why is she making these choices and i was like I was I was curious I was curious to myself as to my think am I viewing this as a flaw of the film for not d directly addressing why she's doing things and then I started thinking well actually there could be more to her character than we're being allowed to see al already and it made me want to think about what's possibly gone on in her life and I really I really admired that aspect where I'm thinking okay this is I I I want to know more about her but I feel like establishing more about her in my own mind is more rewarding than a film telling me exactly what I'm supposed to be feeling about her character. I think on some level you could almost make a comparison and they're very, they're very different films in some regard, but something like children of men okay. where you have this world that's created very quickly and you're given a lot of hints as to what's going on in the world, but you don't get a lot of details and it's fascinating. You know, for example, in the opening montage in that film, the siege of Seattle's at the 1,000th day. Uh, this is going on. This is going on, and you never find out what's going on in in, in terms of any real detail. And yet, it's fascinating. And the worst thing that the filmmakers could have done would have been to go through and say, in 2014, the world suffered a nuclear attack. You know, they could. The worst thing they could have done would have spelled everything out. And 
one thing I think it's great too about these performances is they're so determined. You know, Cyril is just one track mind. You know, he's got his view of the world. He's positive that his dad loves him and would never do these bad things. And then he goes after and he keeps trying to find his father. And when he finds his father, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't hear what he wants to hear, he's determined to get the answer he wants. And on the same token, um, Samantha is she so determined too, and she is so so focused on just making. She's going. This boy is going to have a good life if she has anything to say about anything. And I just think it's it's really cool just to kind of see this you know high level determination in both characters in very different levels but it's just it's cool to see them sort of these two strong personalities kind of butting heads you know wanting the same thing but kind of wanting to it's it's really cool i mean i appreciate a film not telling me everything and us having to fill in some of the blanks but i do feel that the narrative is a little bit sketchy and there are questions that i had throughout the film that never really got answered and I realized that's sort of, that's life. You know, sometimes you don't have all the answers, but I mean, where is Cyril's mother? We never really, I don't think that's ever addressed. Like why, where is she? Why doesn't he have one? And and I didn't really understand why Samantha was the angel that she was. I mean, she really puts herself out there for this child. And I, that's not like a problem exactly, but those are sort of small, two small examples of how the narrative doesn't really give you a lot of detail. So I just, I, I wanted a little bit more, I guess, and the narrative didn't really give me answers to questions like that. Now, there are, okay, so you bring up those two those two uh, instances and those two examples, and with the mother thing, whatever. I mean, that, yeah, I, mean I, can under, I can understand. I, I totally don't care about the mother at all. I, I, can, I can see... That's that's that seems like an easy one to fill in for me in terms of just how I re how I process that that didn't occur to me as something to even think about really it's like I it's a family it's broken up obviously it, it's pointed out that I guess like the there was a grandmother at some point that was also involved and that that has gone away and now the father had to deal with that and that's the family thing with uh, Samantha's character and I'm not trying to like just throw that out immediately I'm just I want to get to the Samantha thing the um, this is what this is kind of what I thought of, and this is just more of an interpretation I have that I just thought was interesting, and just how my mind kind of processed Samantha's role in this film. So it's not necessarily a spoiler or anything, because I don't, I'm making, I'm basically making it up. But, um, with, with Samantha, I felt like what my mind was processing as I'm like, well, why is Samantha this way? A number of things came to mind. Maybe there's there was the idea that maybe she always wanted children and she just can't have them, or maybe she had a miscarriage at some point. Those are things that. I just felt like the, those thoughts came to mind and it made me more intrigued by her character just because the film is not telling me those things. And I felt like I had this wealth of possibilities in my mind and I was enjoying the idea of thinking about those various possibilities more so than being concerned with the fact that I wasn't given what the answer was. Right. And those are those are just two questions. But there's other things The I don't want to give away the story, but the father, I just the way he acts was shocking. He, I, it's shocking to me. And I think it does provide a justification for Cyril's subsequent behavior because I don't think Cyril can, uh, Cyril can understand why his father behaves the way he does. And so I sort of, I've heard people say they thought that Cyril was unlikable. And the reason why they didn't like the film was because they thought Cyril was unlikable. And I, I don't feel that way at all. I actually totally sympathize with Cyril. I was there with him. I was upset and angry 
you know, at this at this father and his subsequent behavior totally seemed fair to me. Especially I mean, for it, a child of his age as well. Yeah, I mean, I so I I totally sympathize. I didn't actually think the child was unlikable at all. So well, I mean, I have a question for you about about the father. I'm just curious. Is it because did did you find the father's behavior so shocking because he didn't seem he wasn't a drug addict he wasn't homeless he he didn't seem to be that poorly off as to warrant that kind of behavior was was that possibly something that played into how, how you felt that way that's part of it that he has the ability to take care of him but but also I mean my understanding was he was living with his father all up up until that time and then he was in this foster care for a month correct yes. Right. So the father raised him since birth until he was 12. I mean, well, I don't there, know how, there's a, how many there, there's a mention that the grandmother has passed away. And so from what I can tell, that means that there was a grandmother involved in the in the bringing up of him, helping okay. out the father. And then right, once right. she passed, he basically did not want to deal with this on his own. I, I don't know. Maybe I've just known a few more scumbags than, than you have. But I, I just it's it's. It's not that much of a stretch for me to imagine somebody being that horrible. But actually, to go back, if we could, to to the Samantha thing, Roger Ebert had a really good point in his review, and I strongly encourage anyone anyone listening to this, uh, when the Dordain brothers release a movie and Roger reviews it, something special happens. I mean, I'll put, gosh. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll put Roger he's a review. He's a fantastic writer, but oh my gosh, his reviews of Dordain movies are incredible. And he actually, he addressed the same question as far as why she does what she does. And he thinks that it might have something to do with, there's a point in the film when she's forced to make a decision in a, in a car. Um, and I won't say what that decision is, but she has to kind of make a big choice, like an either or kind of thing. In a fairly impromptu manner as well. In a, in a very, exactly, a very unexpected, just take it or leave it kind of thing. And he suggests that it's possible that the way that the, the, her reasoning for making that choice say a lot about how she got to, to where she is as a person. I mean, personally, I, again, I, I can't speak explicitly about what happens in that sequence, but I really admired the level of fortitude that she shows in that particular scene where she's given this tough choice. And you'd think the person asking the choice thinks it's a total no-brainer, that she should respond a certain way, mm -hmm. and that she responds a different way, I think is very cool and speaks a lot to her character kind of as a person mm -hmm. it was actually in that moment where i began to think of the things that i was thinking of and or exploring different possibilities in my mind regarding samantha as a character there's there's bits of music in this film can, can either of you recall how many there, there's two music cues i can think of offhand but was there more were there, there if there is it's like maybe one or two more okay so because I, I think i just it seemed very apparent to me in the two towards the end it's noticeable it's noticeable like, towards the end when, when i noticed it and that's pop up yeah now do you think those those music cues were necessary or, and or do you think they were too much of not only do you know what's going on but now we're really emphasizing the fact of what's going on uh, i think it's a, it's a real art house sort of touch i mean it's totally this is only the second time they've ever used music in a film and really the first time in the body of a film that they've ever done it so, I mean, when you, when you see that, it's like, oh, this is very much the kind of thing an art house filmmaker would do in an almost sort of a cliche kind of way. You know, that said, I'm all for them branching out and trying new things. I don't, you don't really need the music. I mean, using I'm music in a okay film, and you, you, using music in a film is common. So, I mean, to use music is probably standard. To, if they had not used music, I think it would have been more surprising. Okay, so I'll, I guess I'll phrase it this way. Because I did, okay, you're saying that they're, Adam, you're saying that they're more than 
There are more than two music cues because I can only think of two music cues. So to it, it, I, I can't swear to that, but okay. if there were, it does like maybe three or four. Okay, so I feel like I'm bringing that up because the two that I'm thinking of, which occur near the end of the film and are, I guess, related around characters realizing certain things or going or a thematic response to something and based off what's going on in the film i feel like those are very and i have nothing against music in a film of course i I love scores and movies i was just it seemed very noticeable to me that now we are putting on music to further emphasize this emotion that's going on in the scene did you you thought was corny or I, i don't know about corny it's just my my natural reaction to that was not something that made me like like it was manipulative yeah i guess yes that's a good way to put it it was it felt manipulative and it feels like that's the only reason that i don't i don't like full out love this movie as opposed to i just think it's a really good movie a great movie perhaps it feels like a feel like as a whole i feel like it stumbles in handling the those aspects of the film more properly i would i don't know maybe it's something about that the way those particular music cues or maybe it's I don't know. It's it's something that it's completely subjective to me. I, I have no I, I, but my response is that I for some reason can single out those moments in particular, and I don't think highly of those compared to other aspects of the film. Well, it, it, like I said, you know, it is kind of it's a it's a real first for them, and they they never even really with, with that. I mean, I haven't seen many Darden films, so I mean, I, it's regardless of what they've done in the past versus what they've done in this movie. In this particular movie, those music cues, I guess, rang false to me. And, the way they're 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 not exactly organic but i don't i don't really mind them that much oh maybe because so much of the film was so raw and honest and like it doesn't really suffer from over sentimentality it doesn't yes so maybe those they don't uh, really know how to do over sentimentality no so but maybe the music to you sounded a little bit like overly sentimental. I guess so. Yeah, I was, just, I was more. I'm just more curious of what you guys' reactions were to those, and I feel well, like I differ. Just, so. I didn't. To be honest, I didn't really. It, I didn't react against the music, so I, I thought it was fine. I mean, th- that didn't uh, hinder my enjoyment. I, I mean, I it probably added to it. Actually, I, I I didn't mind it. When I when I saw the film at AFI, the um, I was thrilled because uh, the Dardans were actually there at the screening, and they were asked about the use of music. And I wish that I remembered their answer. <laughs> when did you bring it up? <laughs> you had me on the edge of my seat, Adam. Mr. Buzzkill. I was Mr. dying Buzzkill. for your answer. Mr. Hobbin. Hobbin. Oh, God. Dude, I'm going to have so much fun with Hobbit jokes later this year. Oh, gosh. Because uh, I thought cause I had me on the edge part of, of it, and I was you... going somewhere, and now Abe is going to be laughing out of his... You know, Adam, <laughs> the reason I saw this film was because of you. Because of your recommendation, I saw it was playing in my area, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Adam recommended this film, I'm going to go see it. And I'm glad I did. The Adam. The the end of Adam. <laughs> um, but no, what I, as I recall, they were trying to suggest was the music, in some respects, kind of expressed emotions that the the characters weren't really comfortable expressing. And as I recall it, so that was sort of some of their justification was that it was as to why it was there. And not only that too, but it's, I don't, I believe it's, I can't remember which composer, but I believe it's a classical composer, a couple of just snippets and they're very quick orchestral sort of Yeah, they're just kind of, yeah, it's like a blast of a moment for the, for the scores. It's you know, almost like Inception, but you know, not as. Or almost a little bit like Melancholia. That, there was that score in there. That could be, that could probably be a fair comparison. 
Remember how they had that sort of orchestral music? That, uh, I'm very aware, it just up. seems like. Yeah, because ironically, I saw Melancholy and Kid with a Bike on the same day. So it's like, this is like the universe is coming together. Yeah, you must have been, it must have been hard for you to contain yourself with laughter throughout <laughs> those screenings. And there was so, exactly. Just, there just, was a, just a sunny, non-stop sunny day. Times. Non-stop good times. <laughs> so let's see, anything else about the Kid with a Bike before we move on? Um, I would just highly encourage... Uh, listeners to to go back and watch other Dardenne movies because because they're out of Belgium and because we live here in America unless you're listening to this somewhere else in the world you know it's a lot of times movies by foreign filmmakers albeit smaller foreign filmmakers don't get a lot of recognition you know these guys have won the Palme d'Or at Cannes twice you know The Child right uh, The Child, the child and, the, and um, Rosetta or Les Enfants exactly um, those two won that and, and basically I mean they haven't lo- they haven't walked away from Cannes without a prize since 1999. Like every time, like, the kid with the bike won the tied for the jury the grand jury prize with um, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia. So I would just uh, personally recommend uh, Lorna's Silence, uh, L'Enfant, uh, The Sun, uh, those in particular. Um, I think you know anybody who wants to set out to make a movie and do it in, in, in an independent way with no money would do well to watch these movies and just see the way they structure them and the way they craft them. They're, they're quite remarkable. All right. Uh, you know what? Let me, I ought to add one thing. Okay. So Thomas Durrett as Cyril, I, I got this, I kind of got this vibe while watching the movie, but that kid could be an action star. Just, I feel like he's like a young action star in the making almost the way he's, the way he's like jumping around, climbing up things, getting into fights with little kids. It, it feels like he's like on his way that he could be like well, a young action star in some. I think one of his best uh, su- su- elements of surprise is the fact that he doesn't look like he's an action star. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look like somebody you would expect capable of what he what he is capable of in this film. But he's wiry. <laughs> yeah. He, it's He's he's surprising. It's just, with him, I mean, I almost think of um, Hunter McCracken in The Tree of Life. Oh, yeah. And That's then Cameron Spur in Melancholia. But there were some really... Strong performances by young male actors last year, and actors. I mean, that's a that's a tough gig for a child actor to pull off any kind of believable performance. And there were, you know, three of them that were really strong. Yeah, I, I think one of the problems that child actors sometimes have is their performances can drift into precociousness, and he, those are several performances that, didn't do that, that you just yeah. mentioned where that does not happen. They 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 seem honest, like a sincere portrait of a child. Yeah. Yeah, the, the best one, the one I always measure any child performance off of, is uh, the young man in Kramer versus Kramer. Mm-hmm. Justin Henry. Just, there you go, totally. I couldn't remember his name. I've yeah, never no, seen it, but child performance. And it's just whenever I see a, a child performance and I can see them acting, it's like, ah, you're no Justin Henry. <laughs> I tend to think that about kids in uh, Steven Spielberg movies. He has a good way of handling children in movies to me. And I guess Super 8, too, to an extent. Well, I guess to wrap to wrap up a kid with a bike, I think Adam and I really like the movie quite a bit and would recommend it for everyone to see. And I believe Mark certainly recognizes the acting and a lot of it, but isn't quite as like enamored by it as we are. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely liked it and would, would recommend it, but I thought there were some issues with the narrative that prevented me from just like loving it. Let's move on then. And uh, spe- we were speaking of young male actors and speaking of young males let's talk about bully see see what i did there with the segueing 
Oh, 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 my heart. I was I, I wasn't on the edge of my seat, and then when you did that, I went to the edge of my seat. <laughs> Thank you. And um, let's uh let's play a little bit of that trailer. In the last couple of days, we had heard that Tyler had his head shoved into a wall locker. He said he is a geek. My concern is is that you were making someone feel so uncomfortable that they didn't want to be in school. <laughs> I feel kind of nervous going to school because I like learning, but I have trouble with making friends. They said he is a geek. Some kids have told him that he is worthless to go hang himself. And I think he got to the point where enough was enough. Tonight, a tragic situation. A Perkins boy, just 11 years old, believed to have been desperate enough to take his own life. This is a, an awfully complicated and difficult issue. Kids will be kids, boys will be boys. They're just cruel at this age. Here, what we get is nothing's wrong. We didn't do anything. Everything's fine. They punch me, strangle me, take things from me, sit on me. Give it to him hard! He's not safe on that bus. I've been on that bus. They are just as good as gold. My voice is not going to fall silent. I will go to my grave until a difference is made. We reached out to, to parents that have lost kids, parents of kids that are being bullied all over the world, and it took off like wildfire. All right, so um, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about Bully now, the uh, new documentary about, I was about to say the epidemic of bullying, but the, uh, the subject of bullying in uh, U.S. schools. And I know only Adam and I have seen this. Mark, you have not seen this film, correct? Correct. Okay, but you are aware of the film Bully. And, yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, this film, uh, it's basically, um, it's a documentary that's, it was filmed over over a year, in, over one school year in several different states, uh, Georgia, Iowa, Texas, Mississippi, Oklahoma, uh, following several kids from each of the schools in those states. And um, it basically, port- it shows what these kids are going through it ha- and it it uh, puts a lot of a lot of focus on those kids on their parents how they're reacting and on the, um, basically their confrontation with the various school authorities on what's being done about this and a lot of the film is also framed around the um, I guess the suicides of a couple kids who just there was too much bullying it, the, the bullying literally led them to take their own lives which is unfortunate. And so yeah, this is a documentary that kind of that goes over the uh, over bullying in gen- in general. So, for all that said, Adam, what did you what did you think of bully? It's weird because there's been so much of this this uh, outcry over the film's rating, mm-hmm. which essentially amounts to a lot of free publicity for Harvey Weinstein. So I'm not surprised that you know, he was able to generate a fair amount of controversy. Yeah, I have plenty um, to say about that as well, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, in detail, just the, the utter and complete irony of Harvey Weinstein trying to bully the MPAA into changing the rating for a film called Bully. But I think Bully's fine. I think its its aim is noble. It's truly noble. And it's very good at getting into the lives of these people. It's, you really feel like you're in their life. I mean, obviously, at some point, the reality TV concept takes over where I'm sure these people, they had a camera in their house all the time. And at some point, I mean, it's hard to forget that you have a camera in your house all the time. I think it's effective at portraying the way some kids could almost become okay with being bullied when that sort of 
um, mentality of the abused ta uh, abused takes over to where you kind of think it's normal. Become numb to or, it. Maybe, exactly, because that's one thing that some of the kids say about one of the young men who's, who's kind of the main, the protagonist in the film. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, he, he's laughing at with us, or he seemed to be having a good time. And it's true, because like when you're watching the movie, he seems to be enjoying himself or is okay with some of the, the crazy things that are going on. Does it make you feel good when they punch you? Or kick you? Or stab you? Do these things make you feel good? Well, well I don't know. I, I'm starting to think I don't feel anything anymore. Friends are supposed to make you feel good. That's the point of having them. Your only connection to these kids is that they like to pound on you. If you say these people are my friends, then what friends do I have? Uh, so, so again, I think the aim of the film is, is good. I think it's effective. Um, I didn't think it was as emotionally affecting as it might have been. Um, and I think it suffers from being a bit too long. I mean, you kind of get pretty quick, okay, bullying is bad. Okay, kids should not bully. Okay, uh, administrators in schools should take a bigger role in combating and preventing bullying. Okay, it's really hard for them. And you kind of get it. And then the film just tends to kind of not drag, but it kind of overstays its welcome a little bit. It's redundant. So, I mean, I, I'd recommend it. it. Redundant, that's a good one. It's, I would recommend it, but I'm not enamored with it. Yeah, and Adam, I basically completely agree with you on this, this point. I feel like it it does, it certainly has the message. It has that message down and it, and it hits it pretty hard. But the, the main things that kind of bother me with the movie is, yeah, it does feel redundant. It feels like I'm hitting, I'm getting hit with the same points over and over again without much to expand on beyond seeing yet another scene that's emotion, that's kind of, it's very much pulling on the right kind of chords to get you to think, yeah, bullying's wrong. And yeah, you know, you should know bullying's wrong already, but it's very much toying with, you should you should stand up against bullying, and there's kind of a almost a PSA level to ness to it that kind of comes out at the end when it's you know tells you to go visit their website of take a stand to bullying. I, I, what's the exact website? I don't even know. What is it? Um, <laughs> Let me think. <laughs> stand up to bullying. Stand up to bullying. It's a really interesting website too. Yeah, and like you, if you put on the website like there's all this movement and like video kind of inset, it's it's interesting. I have a question. I haven't seen the film, but mm -hmm. you said some of the subjects in the film committed suicide. There, there, there's um two. There's two kids in the two kids in the film that when the film opens, it's addressing the fact that they committed suicide. Yes. It, so it and, comes. It kind of talks to their families after the fact. Yes, and it, and it, they were not being. They were not the subject of any documentarian's work up to that point. It's sort of an, an after the fact, and they're largely involved in the the movement of that the that the film promotes the uh, the stand up. But the, okay, but the the people that they follow in the film, I mean, there are some some children that they follow. Those children did not commit suicide. No, no, yeah. okay. not not that we're aware of or to, or to this to, to date. Okay, just because I somehow I would think that if they had like if they had selected a child to say we're going to follow you around and document your life. And then the child committed suicide. I don't know. It just seemed to be, be odd. Like that'd be yeah, that'd be too much. like there'd be so much. There should be so much people watching them that they would realize that the child was in that state that it wouldn't well, happen. Was, yeah, it's ironic you say that because that's one thing that I really noticed in the movie. This this camera crew is on this bus and they're documenting this behavior, and I'm watching, thinking, wait a minute, so the cameraman or woman is right there watching this happen. That's where my curiosity came from. And too. you're thinking at some point you have a moral obligation 
to like to do something to protect this kid. Now, even with that, what it, it felt weird to me that that kids like this would be picking on another student while they can acknowledge, while they can clearly see that there's a man with a camera standing behind. Right. Them. That's, I don't filmed. get that. That's that's I have that same so, question. If yeah. you're really dumb, apparently, guys, let's just say it. <laughs> it well, except, see that that aspect it made me quite. See, I hate doing this because I hate. I don't want to be like cynical about documentary filmmaking, but it made me question. What's the stage? What you're saying, right? I don't know about stage, but it makes me question what was the process in getting this to occur and to being well, able to be on a bus like this and film children hitting other children and strangling them and like cursing them out and saying horrible things. Yes. Yeah, it's odd. I mean, a lot of times documentaries are things that are assembled after the fact with news clips and you know newspapers and things like that. This is actually like let's go out and and you're not it's not like a nature documentary where you're yeah, it's just not like he's, you know, it's not like he's on the outside the bus like with a spy camera inside it's like this right it's not it's, it's not like yeah, it's on the ceiling of the bus at least I couldn't tell I don't think it was it looked like there was literally someone standing in the bus filming this happening Well, the only thing I can think of is maybe the the camera person was it? rode the bus so often they just got used to it and just reverted to their natural behavior right right I mean that's but funny. I that's all I can think of. I guess. But again, I don't. I don't want to focus too much on the validity of something like this. I mean, the fact is, it happened, and it's not a good thing. But my other, the other one of the other issues I had with the film is, it take. It certainly want. It wants to go against, uh, not against, but it wants to address the fact that the the um, student body. What would it be? The, the, the student body, the teachers, the vice principals aren't yeah. do, aren't doing enough to prevent what's going on. Like there's there's a special there's an issue where. Um, at one point, what the parents of the, I guess the lead child, Alex, the lead child in the film, is um, the parent. The parents are shown a video of how intense the bullying actually is, and at that point, they go up to the vice principal to, or I think it's the vice principal or principal, whatever. They go, I think, yeah, you're vice right. principal, I think. They I think so. they go up and and challenge her about how terrible the bus situation is, and that she she notes the the mom notes that. Um, when she was in school, the bus driver would stop and make sure everyone is they, they make sure everyone's acting accordingly back in their seat before the bus would go again. And now the bus just continues to go while her son is maliciously bullied on the bus. And the and you see the the, the reaction of the vice principal is almost abhorrent of her of her just kind of writing it off essentially and saying people had a, a visceral reaction. In our screening, people had a visceral reaction. Yes, they did. Actually saying, "Oh, come on!" out loud. Yeah, and like the vice principal's reaction, it was more. It was basically, a "Boys will be boys," and you're exaggerating. The buses aren't that I've, bad. I've, rid I've ridden whatever number the bus was. Those kids are as good as gold. How can I help you guys? My voice is shaking. I'm very upset. Let me be honest. Like I am upset enough. I don't want him to ride the bus anymore. Get your ass off my book bag. Okay. Here. Move. Move. What? If they're out of your care, they're in someone else's mm -hmm. who's just as capable as you of keeping them safe, and I don't feel like that. <laughs> I've ridden 54. I've been on that route. I've been on a couple of them. They are just as good as gold. Like, because the principal was on the bus. <laughs> yeah, and... Yeah, it go it ha it tackles things like that where you're addressing the actual like teachers and like why 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 are things better or whatever. But it doesn't really go into the bullies. It doesn't the film doesn't actually handle who these kids and I can imagine maybe that's because they just 
they didn't want to be on camera to talk about why they bully somebody who would really in that kind of situation. But at the same That's time, a really fair point. at the it same time, doesn't really yeah, get into their heads at all. Yeah, you don't get into their heads. You don't get into the parents of them or any kind of issues. And that's really what, that's really the place where I think the most interesting material would be found. Exactly. Yes. Why do you let yourself be bullied? But it's like, what compels you to do this? Like, who are these bullies that are bullying these kids? Are they coming did, from bullies? When they assembled this footage of children being bullied, did they ever show, like, the film being shown to the principal and see her reaction when she was confronted with what was actually happening? They didn't. They, there was a text that explained that the parents were shown a clip of the kids being bullied. They, the the filmmakers had enough, and they just like we have to do something, and they showed the parents the movie. Yeah, they're, part of the, yeah, the fly in the wall thing wasn't working well enough where they could just let it go, so they had to show the parents. But no, I don't believe the vice principal or the the, the teachers were actually sh- at least the film didn't acknowledge the fact that this the, the actual council of teachers or whatever was shown footage of these kids being bullied. No, it was not made clear in that. And I I cut, based on what you hear in the film, I do not think that they were shown that footage beforehand. No. So, so Aaron, I'm curious. Um, there's all this controversy about the rating. Okay. What do you think the film's rating should be, and why? I feel like, I feel like the, I mean, okay. So to clarify, the film is rated R, and it's rated R because kids swear. That is the sole reason that this film is like this. There is no, the the MPAA is not concerned with the, I guess the the the, the moral nature of what's going on in this film. It's it's solely because kids say the f bomb a few times in this film, because kids are kids and kids swear sometimes. Now, what I think this film should be rated, honestly, the best thing I could have said is that why don't you just bleep the language and make it PG-13, let or P, even PG at that point if it's if it's completely bleeped out. That that I don't feel like that's ruining any artistic integrity. I think because it's a documentary, it's not like the King speech where you're literally changing the language of the film at some point. It's a documentary about real kids, and I feel like. If you were to simply bleep the words and, you know, that would lower the rating, that doesn't affect the film and you get the same idea. I don't think the the reality of the documentary is shattered because you suddenly hear bleep instead of the F word. Does that make sense? Right. That's that's fair. Also, if they if they bleep it with sort of noticeably bleep it, at least you have the idea. Oh, there's a swear word. There's a swear word. For sure. Like, yeah, that's that's probably enough. Network TV gets away with the same thing. So (laughs) but um, we know that. The MPAA, it's language and sex. And, and sex. Those are the things that really, like, they just, as soon as something happens, it's already R. But violence, uh, it's you can you have to go pretty far before it gets an R for violence. Yeah, we uh, we just saw the Hunger Games last week with with kids killing each other, and that's PG thirteen. But that's 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 its own thing. I, it's I have this weird reaction because I mean I think the MPAA is a joke. Yeah. I think they're totally a joke, but at the same time, I want them to stick to their guns because if they don't, just because members of Congress sign the pledge or because Meryl Streep signs the pledge or Johnny Depp signs the pledge, you know, then it just, it takes away from their validity, which they already, you know, are, they're already a joke. And again, like I said, I really have a problem. Well, I just don't like Harvey Weinstein in general. I think he's got amazing taste and I respect him on that level. But as a person, I just... I just I don't understand how people don't get that he's trying to bully the MPAA into doing what he wants. That said, I totally think I would have rated this film PG-13. I could be down with the bleeping thing. And I think, although the, the, the criticism isn't exactly valid either, because if the film is rated R, it doesn't mean that a child can't go see it. It just means that the child can't go see it without their parents, whom I would argue 
if they're going to see the movie, the parents and the kids should see it together so they can work through it together. I agree with that. So, yeah. so I don't get the problem. I Yeah, see, now... Well, I guess the the main problem stems from you can't have, like, field trips going to the theater to go and see this yes, movie. Yes, you can. Then, well, uh, I, you'd consent. have to have a lot of... Parental, I feel like, that, yeah, it's there'd be a lot involved in that. And you can't... You have to show it in schools. You have to go through all that. But it's it's very... How, how different is that from showing Saving Private Ryan or Schindler's List in the classroom? I, yes, I agree. I, I understand. You send, a, you send a consent form home, and, and then they deal with it, and you go from there. I feel like, yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's sort of funny because this is ostensibly things that are actually happening in the schools anyway so yeah. you're protecting children from what you're, exactly this is what is. this is their reality and if and if you find their reality r-rated then maybe somebody needs to step in and you know maybe exercise a little you know parenting or something or, or teacher needs to step in and say you know don't don't do that or something and now with that with that said the film is rated r and yes i believe i agree with adam that i believe the mpa is a joke but at the same and I also agree with this. I mean, the film it's rated R because kids swear, but it's rated R because of reasons that are firmly established. And I have nothing against the fact that it was rated R. I don't feel like it should have been lower rated just because it's a, a it has a good message to it. The, there are there are clear rules as to why it's this way, regardless of how I feel about those rules. I don't you know, it's it's a language, you know it's a different time to be really thinking of language as a horrible thing that kids shouldn't see. But so but I don't think the MPA was in the wrong in rating this film R. And I do agree that I feel with Adam that Weinstein was in the wrong for trying to bully them into lowering the rating simply because he didn't like that. <laughs> in what did I, uh, Mr. Weinstein do? Uh, Adam, can just you, you want to explain what? Well, he kind of um, well he lambasted the MPA uh, publicly. I, he he was not the person that started the the campaign. Uh, I, I can't remember the young man's age, but it was a young high school boy, I think, who started a campaign to get the rating changed and started collecting signatures. But but basically, Weinstein did the Weinstein thing where he just said he couldn't and believe that someone disagreed with him and, you know, wouldn't rate the film accordingly. And then this pledge kind of took off. And then, like I said, you know, 20 members of Congress got, you know, lent their support. And Meryl Streep and Johnny Depp threw their support and it's just basically Harvey created a system where he got a lot of free publicity. Yeah, and so as a as a result, just to see, just to explain how things went out, the film, the the film was going to go out as unrated, and be, or Harvey threatened to put to, to just release the film as unrated, unrated, which would basically lead to theaters regarding it as NC seventeen, like the MPA would regard the film that's as NC-17. actually not entirely. It's true, I, yeah, it's. Because I, I was speaking to a theater manager about this, and he said that that was not at all the way he would handle it, or their chain would handle it. Yeah, and but the the um, it's basically a, a, it's a back and forth bickering between RV and the MPAA, and so with that regard, if it was regarded as an NC seventeen film, then but then, no, so then just, nobody could see it, or that well, then kids so could see it. But it's just words. Then it, it is. Was just, it's really just, he just yes. critical. I mean, he didn't say like I'm going to withhold, you know, whatever the something well yeah he well, he did he did. i mean it went out as it's gone it at this point it's still like it's still changing back and forth but at, currently i believe in like certain theaters it's being released as unrated and but with um i believe the amc chain well, if you have parental guide if you have a parental like it, if you have like a note you can go in and see the film this this movie has no distribution i mean i live in the san francisco bay area and it's nowhere i mean it's nowhere even i think the nearest uh, theater playing it is down in la 
I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's 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 completely inaccessible for me to see it. And it'll be spreading wider. But anyway, we're getting way too into this <laughs> with, the, with the reading of the film. That but, Abe uh, can delete or edit. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think it's a good discussion. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, um, uh, you'll have to release this podcast in like five installments. <laughs> I demand that this podcast be rated PG thirteen. <laughs> I'm insulted. Well, regardless, I mean the film. Yes, the film had. Okay, so here. Okay, here was my concern with it. Um, if the film was rated PG thirteen, regardless of all of this that's going on, I don't. I don't necessarily feel like that would mean kids are suddenly going to go go out and seek this film. Right. Like it doesn't. I don't feel like. Oh well, I can see this. So clearly, I'm not going to go and see like The Hunger Games or Wrath of the Titans, that like most popular films in America, because this documentary about bullying going on in schools is way more interesting to me, a 13 year old boy or something like that. Like, I don't feel like, I don't feel like that automatically means that this movie is going to make vast amounts of money just because it suddenly has a lower rating. So actually you, you might even make a case that if they had released it rated R, maybe kids might try to sneak, sneak in, in and to see it. see it and wonder what's all this about. So that makes me wonder, I don't know how dedicated to the film's message Harvey Weinstein is. That's what really makes me really concerned with. If he's more concerned with kids need to see this movie versus, well, I'm certainly going to make a lot more money because kids are certainly curious about the movie that I've been making a lot of news headlines over. Right, right. And, and, um, especially considering the fact that Harvey Weinstein is notorious in Hollywood circles for being one of the biggest bullies, bullies in the industry today. Yeah, the, the humor involving the irony of him bullying the NBA is not, has not got past me at all. And it's just, it's amazing that suddenly he cares so deeply about... Our nation's youth. <laughs> ...protecting people from other people trying to take advantage of them and bend them to their will. Come on. Harvey, we're not, we're not, we're not fooled. All right, so <laughs> we've got heavily into two aspects of the film, the actual film and the actual rating of the film. But, um... Let's. I guess let's try to let's try to move on to something else. But overall, I think uh, Adam, I think you and I are both kind of in agreement on Bully, where we think it certainly has the message. It certainly nails that down. It's certainly worth seeing. I would say. I'd say it's worth recommending. I just. I personally just feel like it skims a few aspects that could have been made the film more interesting. Totally. So I mean, it's it's not something. It's it's something people should watch. I'm not saying they should run out and go see it. Like if it's shown in schools, I can understand that completely. Totally, and it, and I total I I, be, I think that'd be a great use of the film. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's move on to another film that um, all three of us have seen, and it is the winner for the Oscar for best foreign film. It's called A Separation, from uh, director writer Asghar Fahadi. this is a film well it's this is this is a this is an Iranian film that um, is concerned with a married couple who basically decide to get a separation sorry um, based on a decision that where the wife in the situation wants to move to another country where she can have a better, she can hopefully make a better life for herself and her family. While the husband doesn't want to do so because he has, he his father is going through Alzheimer's and he needs to take care of him and he doesn't want to relocate him. He doesn't want to relocate. He doesn't want to put him in a home. He wants to stay and take care of his father. And um, because of this, they have 
they have a separation, and the two of them have a child between them who starts to go back and forth. And because of all this, the husband character, I don't want to keep saying that, the husband, the, um, Nadir, um, he decides to bring in help to help him out taking care of his father and the home and things. And um, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm just going to say... The process, chaos in chaos. The uh, bringing bringing in another figure to help out leads to certain dramatic events that occur, and a story takes off from there that revolves a lot around courtroom cases and moral choices. Is that the best? I think that's the best way to kind of explain it, right? That sounds that good. Works. Okay. So with all that said, let's start with Mark this time. Mark, what did you? What do you think of a separation? I love this film. I I think that. At its peak, a film can capture a situation so perfectly that it it goes past entertainment and it just goes into this reflection on the human experience. And I thought that the presentation of the characters in this film was masterful. Originally, when I saw the title, A Separation, and I heard it was about um, a, an Iranian couple and the w- a woman wants to get a separation from her husband, I just immediately thought, oh, this is going to be some... Uh, marriage where he's uh, domineering over her and not allowing her to, to you know, to to live her life and that kind of thing, and I was completely wrong. I mean, what was brilliant about this film is that all the characters they introduce, I could see every single one of these different people's sides and where they were coming from, and it, it just it was such a the script was just such a did such a good job of juggling all these characters and being able to present where each person was coming from. And they all had like a different aspect that they were pushing, but yet everyone's uh, issue was valid. And I, I just, I loved it. I thought that uh, it, it did a really good job at uh, presenting this family and this uh, situation. And it really, it goes, it goes far beyond just uh, this group of people in Iran. I think it could be a, a story that really could have happened anywhere, and there are there are issues that have to do with religion, and and they they act in ways that that correspond to like their beliefs. But that still, people are people, and and I think this is the kind of story that you could have told anywhere. So I I, I thought it it really was it, it emotionally got to me. I was probably more than any film of 2011. It it emotionally affected me. Adam, you know Mark. I really can't disagree with much of what you just said. It's you don't it's, have to disagree. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> That's the point. I'm saying I, I'm I'm pretty much right with you. Right. Um, I don't I don't can't say I loved the film quite as much as you did, but it really is a, a remarkable script, and the performances are so good. And he, another interesting thing we were talking about music earlier with Q with the bike. I can't remember an instance of music in this movie and i can't even say i hardly noticed you know it's just it's this engrossing look at these people's lives you're totally right mark and when you say that it's um you see all these different sides of all these different people's um story and where they're coming from and that's one thing that just makes it so fascinating i mean the story starts off as this very simple domestic drama and then it goes in all these different directions and you get towards the end of the movie and you realize oh crap wait a minute this is still a domestic drama. I totally forgot. And it's it's fascinating in, in the way that, that it's it's structured. The performances are great. Um, 
I think it, I think personally, I think it might run a, a little long. I think it could have been shortened a little bit. But I really love, and it's hard to really say how I feel about it without spoiling anything, but I love the opening and closing of the film in the way that they're both these really long, unbroken shots that symbolize different things about this man and woman's relationship. Um, and I think it's fascinating, too, in that, it, that it was set in Iran, because I think we have this perception of what Iran is like, or what a, a family's life in Iran is like. And watching this movie, I mean, like kind of like you said, Mark, it's so universal, and you're watching this movie thinking, wait a minute, this isn't so different. You know, okay, this Iran, in my mind, looked like this. Well, this kind of looks like, you know, this. It's not that foreign, and it's this universal story. And I, yeah, I, it's only grown in my estimation since watching it. I'm looking forward to seeing the film again. Um, big fan. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I just agree with you guys. I really enjoyed this, but what... What's what's great to me is that this film not only did it win for best um, foreign film at the Oscars, and it's not like the Oscars are the be all end all of everything, but it is it is a certain recognition to have that, of course, obviously. And not only did it win that, but it was also nominated for best screenplay, and that's yes. something that a foreign film doesn't get ever. It really, a foreign film is almost like a a foreign film nomination is almost like a regardless of everything else you might have done in this film, we're going to give you the nomination for being a foreign film in general just because you're so good but seeing it break into another category and so and one you know a screenplay category no less that's really that's a fantastic thing because this script is pretty fantastic it's pretty phenomenal and going into this film it had a certain amount of hype to live up to in my mind of well it's it's got a you know i hate i don't like using this as like a scale of boobies to see with but on rotten tomatoes it's what's it's like 98 to 100 percent there's like, that. like there's one negative review yeah and it's <laughs> pro hopefully it's armand white but uh <laughs> it, i don't think it is but um so you know going into this film knowing that it's you know it's number one on many many lists and it's so well regarded it's like well what is it about this film that's going to get me going because i know the basic premise and i'm like what am i what am i getting into here that's going to make me just absolutely love the film as opposed to just think yeah it's good but nothing great and watching it that 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 whole feeling just subsided in me because i was i wasn't concerned with well how good is it or like how great could it be it was just more of man, this is an engaging story. I'm just really into all this. And it's not its not like it's an action movie. It's not like it's a comedy where I just need to like have that the relief moments every now and then. It's more of I'm just fully into this drama that's occurring because these characters are compelling. Everything that's going on is compelling. Thematically speaking, it's very interesting. All of these things just make sense to me in terms of this is a film experience that you just don't get all the time, but it's all wonderfully handled. And... So as a whole, yes, I think this movie is pretty fantastic. I think all the actors involved, regardless of the fact that, no, I don't speak Iranian, or was it Farsi? Was it Farsi. Farsi. It's Iranian. But uh, regardless of not speaking the language, that you can just, seeing just these people, the emotion in their faces and how they're playing these scenes out, it's all very, very convincing. It's very involving. It's very engaging to watch. And especially for a film like this that has... A dramatic story that takes turns, I guess, but just is basically watching <laughs> events occur. It's, it's it's just really really good. You know what it is? It it's I think it starts out so simple, and you think, oh, this is just going to be a simple domestic drama, and then as things unfold, 
it goes so horribly wrong and you're just like staring at the screen like oh my god i can't things it's it reminds me i mean it's totally different but uh sam raimi's a simple plan it's yeah, like okay. some it starts out one way and then things just go so horrible that you're and you feel for these people like they're doing things that are bad or not really bad but they're trying to to take care of things that they did but you feel like I could have done that. Like I could see myself in this situation and behaving in exactly the same way. And I think that's and, what was so brilliant. And it's a, it's a remarkable look at the nature of cause and effect and the fundamental nature of the concept of fault. Because kind of like you said, you really can't look at any one character in this movie and say, you're a bad person. You know, because even the characters that you think are quote unquote wrong you, like you said, Mark, you totally understand why they're doing it. You can see yourself doing it. There's not, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, I don't think this is a little bit of a cliche. You know, there aren't good or bad people. There are just people with having that have to make choices. Right. And and it's one thing, I mean, I've, this is one of my big things with, with, with film and with art in general. I think one of the biggest gifts that a movie can give you is when it closes down the distance between yourself and someone that you imagine to be very different than you when you stop thinking about oh i need to treat my neighbor like this but when you start to realize that you and your neighbor are the same that you're not separate you know even though we're here you know three of us are you know, we're in california and these people their story takes place in iran it's so immediate because their story is a human story and it's just got all these different things that we all share i mean it's it's fascinating very rarely i mean do you see a film where you're, it's not it's not obvious that this is supposed to be a good guy and this is a bad guy. I mean, even in the greatest films, there's usually a good guy and a bad guy. In this, I mean, you could you could make a case like, well, this person is kind of a little bit bad and this one's a little bit good. But I could see myself in any any one of these people's shoes, and I could, or at least if I couldn't see myself in their shoes, I could at least understand why they behave the way they did. I I didn't fault any any one person for the choices they did, even though, I mean, I realize people do, there's some lying and things like that, but I understand why, like the consequences were just too great to not lie. So I, I got it. Or when you find out certain characters, there's a particular character and you find out this person's motivation for doing something. I mean, what the person did, okay, like, no, that wasn't good, but then you see why they did it and then you see what happened and they're like, oh my gosh. And it's, and it's consistent with the character. It's not something out of left field. You know, it's consistent with what was established earlier. So, I mean, Mr. Ferrati, you know, wrote a masterful script, and I am very excited to see what he does next. And I want to go back and see what he's done previously because I haven't seen any of his films, and I, I, I really want to check him out. I don't know what kind of a road this film had to take in order to make it to the U.S., but I'm glad it did. I, yeah, for I don't sure. know. You don't see very many Iranian films. I don't, anyway. So, I don't know how hard it is for films to make it out of that country and, and, and make this kind of the circuit, but uh, I'm glad it did. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a really fantastic film. I, uh, I, I really, I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the areas of gray. I think I mentioned this to Adam too, like after we, at, we saw this movie together actually back in, in Jan was it January? I believe it was, uh, maybe early February, first week of January, I think. Maybe something like that. And uh, like it just hit our local screen screen, so we could have seen it. And uh, it's still playing there, which is awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I'm, ha I'm happy to, that other people are going to see it. And um, 
I but I really admired the um, kind of the the shades of gray involved with these different characters and like how it how you're really pulled to think one way and then you start thinking another way. But the film it doesn't give you a definite answer for what well, regardless of I guess answers. I mean it's a, it 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 allows you to kind of comprehend where these people are coming from, especially in the case of um in case of the lead in the lead character with Nadir and just w- where what his mind frame is in all this versus what you know about him and versus what you might know about him. Like, it's just, there's a lot of very interesting things going on with these characters. Like it just really, fle- the film does a great job of fleshing these people out and making you think about what, how to consider the actions that have occurred and what would you, what you would do in those kind of situations. Definitely. Definitely. And that's one thing that, you know, it's just so remarkable about the movie is that, you're looking at these people and you know it totally makes sense it's like yeah i would do that or i wouldn't do that or yeah i understand why they're doing that and it's 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 really really something and not only that too but i think this is a textbook example of a movie for uh, it's a foreign film for people who don't necessarily like foreign films this would be a great sort of gateway movie i think into sort of the bigger world you, you of, think so I, I mean, I loved it, but I don't, I don't know about that. I, I, I mean, because it's, it's a drama and it's a, I don't want to say slow pace, but it has a, it's a very deliberately paced film. I don't know. But don't you think it's engrossing enough to where somebody watching, say, I don't know, um, it, it, this is not Ingmar Bergman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's certainly not. It's not. I think it's, it, it's got a level of, of engrossment. I don't think is a word, so I won't use it. But it's got a level of emotional investment that I think really, I mean, there's a reason why this movie is still playing at our local theater. And then at a theater down the road, you know, the artist flamed out and hardly did any business over there, you know, whereas a separation has been playing for months, you know, and I think that's, it's, it's a really interesting contrast. I just, I think it could be a good gateway movie for people that don't think they like well, see, I could, see, I could just, I, I mean, I, I could agree with that to an extent, but I just feel like I'd still be, I'd still be, I'd, I'd be acknowledging who I'd be recommending this film to, as opposed to just blindly recommending this film to anybody to go and see. I think it's a, I don't know, I don't think I would recommend it to anyone. I mean, I mean everyone, because I mean, Pan's Labyrinth is a is a film that I would recommend to somebody who says I don't like foreign films. That's actually that's like, the oh. movie I actually thought of as a film that I could easily re- a foreign yeah, film I could easily recommend to everybody. Anybody can. I mean, I think most people can enjoy that because it's 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 just very easy to enjoy. This is a little bit a little bit more talky and stuff. I, I mean, I loved it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought it was amazing. But I can see I, why some people wouldn't be <laughs> thrilled by. I guess I don't know. But, I could say that better. I don't know. <laughs> and I would be remiss if I didn't point out that despite this film's deserving win for best foreign language film, it did beat my did beat my buddy Philippe uh, did beat my buddy Philippe Flardou's film Monster Lazar. So shout out to Philippe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have to say though, I'm happy to see that the favorite film or the one that got the most hype before it went in actually won this time because lately. If you look at the nominees and then what actually wins for foreign film, and I'm not taking away from the people that have won, but it, a lot of times, like last year, Beautiful was up for nomination. You might have thought that that would have won, but it wasn't. It was in a better world. And and then the year before that, both A Prophet and The White Ribbon were both nominated, which a lot of people Huge thought one of those. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then the, the secret in their eyes one. And so, you know, in fact, even there is, although this there, one, I, there is Pan's Labyrinth and there is um, Lives, Lives of Others, which is a but, fantastic film also. But I, that one I have to, you know, the funny thing about that one is I was rooting for Pan's Labyrinth because that was the only one I had seen that year. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to go see this Lives of Others. It was amazing. So I, that one is one case where I thought that actually probably was possibly the right choice. But I just don't think that the Academy knows quite what they did when they didn't give the White Ribbon the award, <laughs> just because... When you think about the horrible things that Michael Hanukkah comes up for, for his characters to do to one another in their in their movies, like these the members of the Academy should like hire guards and have alarm systems because like they're in deep trouble, man. They voted against Hanukkah. That is one dark dude. I wouldn't. I, come on. But, and did you see uh, a prophet? And I, did I, see I saw. It. I, I, I was not not really a fan of a prophet. I think it's undercooked. Oh, I liked. I mean, I thought it was it was pretty good. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> It's fine. I just don't think it's nearly as good as it was uh, giving credit for. And I did not like the white ribbon. But I, don't, I have a problem. <laughs> oh, I thought you were you I like thought you reading about it. No, I did not. That Hanukkah and I don't really get along. Oh, that's interesting. I thought you were raving about it. Yeah, I thought you were raving about it, yeah. No, no, no. I'm just no, I'm saying he, he is such... His stories are so dark and so twisted that the Academy should have known better than to vote against him. Do you like Cachet? He's, he's a dark man and... He will have his revenge, but I, I don't Cache, really get along with his film. Cache really. is the number. If I had a list of films that just pull the rug out from under you, that is number one. Is that a like good me, thing it, it, in a bad thing? No, okay. bad. Like like it just frustrated the hell out of me because that movie is so it build it starts out so good. In fact, it's it so good for so long, for so long, and then at the end, it just like oh, you know. You. I mean, you can take. Whoa! Like, that's what it was. To we me. I mean, boils Mark Hoban to swear on this podcast. <laughs> My God. This is all being edited out. So, but I, no, I mean, this like, is now it's staying in for sure, awesome. Abe. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh my, my problem with Hanukkah. The blooper reel. He, he, he makes. Okay, I liken Hanukkah to a, a chef making a pot of soup. He combines the most interesting ingredients, and you're watching the soup being prepared, and you're thinking. Oh, dude, I totally am looking forward to tasting that. I want to see how that's going to taste with that. Oh, my gosh. And just as he starts to boil it, he pulls it off the, the, the stove, clamps the lid on, won't let you eat any of it, and then dumps it down the sink. Right, wa- right. And then rinses the bowl out so you don't get anything, and he expects you to be grateful. And it's like, that, dude, that, you even, know what, if you, even if you combine cachet in all the different combinations, it doesn't make any sense. You know what? Cachet White ribbon remember- doesn't make sense. What what was it? Was it Lost Highway? There was a there's a something that happens in Cachet where they find this videotape that they've been filmed while they were sleeping, and it was really eerie. But then I saw that in Lost Highway too. Same thing where they discover a videotape on their doorstep and they realize that someone has broken into their home and are filming them while they sleep. D- do you guys know about those two movies? Yeah, I think it was I, Lost. I know of Lost Highway, but I haven't seen it. How about you, Aaron? I'm pretty. I- if I'm, I think I'm thinking of the same movie. <laughs> Lost Highway. I think it's Lost Highway, and it, so it reminded me a little bit of Cachet. Like there was like similar themes in the very in the very big that that aspect of it. Did you guys see the the piano teacher? No. Yeah, I, I've seen it. Oh my it's god. Funny games. Funny games. Actually, I I think I would have to say the original. I, I think I enjoyed it, although it was it's not like an enjoyable experience. But I I, I think I would have to say I I did walk away from that film. It, you know, I was. I got the. I think I understood like what he was trying to say and stuff. I liked Code Unknown. Did you guys see that one? 
No, I never saw that. Let's uh, move it smooth. I, we smooth back on. Dude. The, the one that's really, uh, I've got to say, though, despite all the, the crap I'm giving him, his next movie is called is going to be called um, Love. <laughs> and it stars um, Isabel Huppert, Jean-Louis Tretagnon, and Emmanuel Riva. And it's like, I'm there in spades. So it's a Michael, cannot wait. It's a Michael Haneke movie called Love? It's a Michael Haneke movie called Love. Is it, um, is it joint directed by Lars von Trier? Um, unfortunately, no. Oh well. The double picture of the century. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to things. Okay, so getting back to a separation. Um, yeah, obviously we all uh, really like this movie a lot, and um, certainly feel that it you know it it, it did well. <laughs> it did well in winning a best foreign film Oscar. But yeah, it has a great performances, great story, fantastic script, the characters, all of it's just really really well done. Um, and yeah, for anyone that you know, it's still it's still currently in theaters and i'll probably be hitting on dvd blu-ray soon so i certainly regardless of our discussion about whether or not you love foreign movies and want to see it i certainly recommend it i yeah so come on criterion wouldn't be surprised wouldn't be surprised if criterion went for it um so let's move on to a new film let's uh let's move on let's move on to friends with kids why don't we just do it what we really want to have a kid so share all the responsibility and just skip over the whole marriage thing I can't really tell if you're kidding right now. I will be 100% committed to this half the time. May I approach the bench? <laughs> oh! Oh my god! We've always wanted you guys to get together. Oh no! Oh, no, no, no. You're not getting together. You're just gonna do it one time and have a kid. Yes. yes. Totally makes sense to me. Oh my god, that is the worst idea I ever heard. Oh my god. So exciting! It's coming! <laughs> I feel like it's coming out of my ah! I don't think they had any idea how hard any of this was gonna be. Yeah. They're probably in hell. Friends of Kids, this is a film that uh, has a pretty all-star cast here. It stars um, Adam Scott, Jennifer Westfeld, John Hamm, Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, Chris Dowd. Basically, you got you got a third of the cast of Bridesmaids and then some other funny people as well. And, oh, and Meg, Megan Fox and Edward Burns. I always forget because they're, not, they're listed on the poster, but there's no picture of them on the poster. Um, and uh, basically, um, this concerns a group of... Uh, a group of adults all living in New York, in, Brooklyn, in Manhattan, Manhattan. Let's see, Adam Scott and Jennifer Westfeld's character, they are basically best friends for life. They've been, they've been best friends for a long time, but they have no interest in each other whatsoever. Their other friends, uh, Maya Rudolph and Chris O'Dowd's character, and uh, John Hamm and Kristen Wiig's character, they're married, and they both eventually have kids. Having kids, it, it um, makes Adam Scott and Jennifer Westfeld realize, um, you know, we, maybe we could have a kid together, but just remain friends and just kind of get all the business of maybe possibly ruining the romance, just that's not even a factor because all we did was be two friends that had the kid together. And so we get the joy of having a kid, but we don't have to deal with losing out on having a great relationship. And it goes from there. I guess that does it well enough. I believe Mark and I, we were the only ones that saw this movie. So uh, Mark, what did you what did you think of Friends with Kids? Well, I really like the cast. Um, as you mentioned, John Hamm and Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph and Chris O'Dowd, they each play these uh, couples, and they're sort of the supporting characters to the, the the two main ones. And I loved Bridesmaids, so the fact that the, all those people were in it, I had very high hopes. I, I, you know, I liked it okay. I mean, it was it was captain captivating enough to hold my attention. Um, I thought it it was good. I don't feel like it ever really rose above what I would describe as like a very good TV comedy. Um, it it uh, it definitely has some funny and insightful comments to make about having children and relationships, especially modern relationships. 
But I do feel like it did kind of lapse into superficial and predictable situations. There's a lot of this, you know, oh, we're, we're only going to be, we're not going to fall in love. We're just going to have a kid together. I mean, whenever someone says that in the beginning of a film, I'm like, I'm looking at my watch. <laughs> what can go wrong? <laughs> they, they could, these two po- couldn't possibly fall into love, you know. And then there's this, you know, she falls in love with him, but he's not in love with her. Then he falls in love with her, but she's not in love with him. It's like back and forth. So, it, you know, it, I was entertained moderately. Um, like I said, it was like a very good TV comedy. Yeah, Mark, I basically pretty much agree with what you just said there. Um, the, There's far too much agreeing going on in this podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we're not just touching his throats about everything, but what the hell? Uh, maybe we'll talk about Submarine and Melancholia again and really get into it. But uh, the, the film, feel, it feels like almost like an indie version of Knocked Up. That's kind of what, 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 what I got across from it. But... For the most part, yeah, I did. I was I was entertained a lot by this but film. Much more serious. Yeah, but much like, more serious. And the it's a mix of yes, it's very much a comedy, but it has yeah, it has serious moments and it has a lot of kind of stinging humor. A lot of not necessarily awkward humor, but kind of jokes that sting in there. Especially in terms of you know portraying a, portraying relationships between people that have had kids together and how that takes a toll on the relationship. It kind of goes into that. It falls into convention, which not, it's not a terrible thing when the movie does that, but it but it feels somewhat obvious when it does do those things. But what makes me like it overall still is the cast. I think the cast is very good. It's a very talented cast. And, um, but particularly, I really like Adam Scott. Adam Scott is a person I've really enjoyed in things for quite some time. And seeing him as ostensibly the male lead of a film excites me. <laughs> like it's, I just feel really good that he got that kind of role. And Jennifer... Westfeld, who is actually uh, John Hamm's longtime girlfriend, she uh, wrote and directed this film. Uh, the two of them have really solid chemistry together. I really like seeing them paired up, as well as I like seeing the other pairings in this film. But seeing basically seeing like the the dark universe where Kristen Wiig and John Hamm's character eventually got together and fell in love out of like bridesmaids, and then coming into this film, like just seeing as like horrible as they, as their relationship is portrayed, especially in the later acts of this film, it's interesting to see that pairing and it's fun to see Maya Rudolph and Chris O'Dowd's characters pairing which is maybe the most normal pairing of the film the the thing is I wanted to see more of I mean I really like Kristen Wiig <clears throat> so I really wanted to see more of her and she's really kind of underused in this film I mean I she's certainly I, I, she's most she's the most supporting character of this cast I would say yeah I mean it's almost I mean and the screenwriter might say well it's not about her but I guess I wish it was because I, I found I mean Adam Scott you know he's He's often cast as kind of unlikable types yeah. in, in his movies. And even in this film, he's kind of, you know, he's a little bit egotistical. Not little. He's very egotistical. And he's got this personality that it's a little bit difficult for me to get behind him. And, you know, and then Jennifer Westfield, Westfeld, uh, she is a little more likable, but she's very self-involved as well. So I found Adam Scott and Jennifer Westfeld a little bit... Ugh, they they got on my nerves a little bit. So uh, through the course of the film, I mean, I was behind it enough, and there was enough funny little asides and things that the script makes that I was entertained. But I did find their characters a little bit. I, I wasn't as I wasn't as into their characters as you were. Okay, so. I got a question for you guys, if I may. Yeah, go for it. Is the vibe of this film more uh, indie relationship? movie or standard kind of Hollywood rom-com? I think it's, no. well, I think it's, I think it's almost standard Hollywood rom-com disguised as indie romantic movie. There's a certain, I think there's a certain smugness almost to it where it, it knows, it knows what it's doing, but it's doing it a little sharper. I saw it more indie. 
I mean, with big stars or not, you know, stars that we've seen before, I didn't see it as as like a total Hollywood. It wasn't as funny as I expected it to be. It, it's a little bit more drama with with light comedy here and there. But that said, I mean, the way it plays out, in my well, in my opinion, I feel, it feels like it is the standard movie. It just happens it to have, have the, it has a layer. Right. It has a layer of indiness to it that makes it well. Look how good, look how right. clever this, we are. And I don't think I don't think the film is actually smug, but I feel like one could point one could say that about this film and the the situations are predictable and and the way that it all kind of plays out um for the most part is kind of what you expect yeah but with that said while i wouldn't want to necessarily hang out with these people in person it is the kind of movie that has a a solid enough cast where i enjoyed watching them all interact with interacting with each other like mark you're saying obviously that you like these supporting characters more than you like the lead characters and I can agree with that to an extent as in I would seeing them sitting like in the beginning of the film when they're all interacting together or even when they're all together later on in the film and the, oh, yeah, and, and the, and the and their ski trip that they all go on together. Just we, like hanging out with these people is fun. There's a funness to that yeah. that I like seeing. And I'll actually give a little bit of props to Megan Fox. I thought she actually gave a performance and she portrayed her role well. I actually I, I didn't. I, I liked her actually in this. I, I can say I did. I have such an issue with making. She fun. gave a performance. I, yeah, she gave a she, performance. She gave more of a performance in this than I've ever seen her give. See, there's so much. This is. It feels like I, I'm like I'm attributing things that aren't necessarily true or not. It feels almost as if she took this role just to show that she can do something like this, where she can play a character that she would be known for playing because it's fun for her to make fun of herself but i don't know if she's earned the right to make fun of herself in movies right right I don't, it's my own thing that i have against me you think she's playing a version of herself i think she's playing a version of herself but i think she's aware that she's playing a version of herself like she's she's challenging you to not like her because she's able to look at me i can also be funny in this kind of role because get it i'm doing this thing where i'm playing a character that you'd expect me to play but I'm in on the joke too, kind of thing. I don't, so you, I don't know how layered that needs to be. But like. I know, but you're like you're attributing all the baggage that she brings to a film. I just watched her, like you know. And I you know, honestly, I honestly of... wish I could do that because I did, I did not, I did not like her. I thought, I thought she worked in the film, but in the back of my mind, I had those thoughts. Right. At the same time, Edward Burns in this film. Could it, I like Ed Burns. It's fun seeing him. It's fun. It was nice seeing him as like a really nice guy in the movie. Like right. sometimes you tend to see him. He's like kind of a New Yorker. He's got attitude. This movie, he's like the epitome of a nice person. Right. Got a problem with New Yorkers there, champ? No, but like Ed, Ed Burns roles, it's kind of the Ed Burns role where it's like, yeah, this guy, you know, he's got a, got an attitude about this kind of thing, kind of thing. And that's my Ed Burns impression apparently. And but this film is it's a little different where he's he's like he's just a really genuinely nice guy and he's likable john ham i liked in this movie too in terms of he has a oh yeah he has that one he scene. Has a scene where there john ham and kristen wigger both i don't know about underutilized but they're definitely not prominent characters in this film and it, for a while i was thinking you know john ham's in this movie why he's third build what, what what's he gonna do and then he has a scene late in the film it, it it's one of the more dramatic moments of the film i guess and it's john ham proving that a little john ham for me goes a long way because when i see john ham in movies i immediately just like i feel like i'm gonna be all right and regardless of the character he's playing whether it's one of the coolest guys in the room or one of like the dorkiest characters he can be like as such because he does a lot of like 
random guest appearances on various TV shows where he comes up and just plays like a like on 30 Rock. He plays a huge dork on that show. But for some reason, every time I see John Hamm on screen, I'm like, all right, I like where this is going. And I was happy to see John Hamm in this film and to see what he was bringing to the role that he had. He has he, was, he has moments where he doesn't even say anything. He just gives looks to other characters, and you just get it. Yeah, that scene that he had, I thought there was one where he has sort of a, a monologue, and I thought that was good. Yeah. Once again, I think Mark and I are, are mostly in agreement. Of, it, in, in general, I'd say we're agreeing about Friends of Kids. We differ on some some things about the film, but yeah, and overall, I think we're we think. It, would you say it's it's funny? It's funny enough, but it has a it has a share of darkness, and it's decent. I guess. Yeah, no, it's definitely decent. Where, where would you, would you recommend? I guess would you, what would be the best recommendation for seeing this film? Since we tend to do that on the show anyway, probably Dollar Theater. Yeah, yeah I, I would basically agree with that because I do think there's a lot of there's fun to be had watching this movie. Yeah, I would def. I mean, I, I well, I'd not like give not it a walls mild wall, recommendation. Yeah, yeah okay, but well, yeah, that's where I'd kind of land on this one. Mark, do you have do you have anything to say about salmon fishing in the Yemen? Uh, not worth your time. <laughs> <laughs> Although I like the cast. I mean, I like. Ewan McGregor and Emily Blunt, and actually Kristen Scott Thomas injects a lot of life into that film. She kind of, I think she realized she was in a sort of a dry, sort of boring film, and she said, I'm going to really kind of ham it up a little bit. And so she was good. But, uh, yeah, it's 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 very, it's such an insignificant movie. I can even barely remember, like, what happened in it. Well, I think there was salmon fishing. And, uh... Well, that's the thing. It's, there was a Yemen. <laughs> if you've seen... If you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie. I mean, they completely distilled the entire plot of the movie into a two-and-a-half-minute trailer. That's kind of a problem with Emily Blunt movies. We think about The Young Victoria. Oh, I, I love that film. If so you've seen the trailer, I mean, you get the sense that there's nothing else to really oh, watch. I, but that's so much better. This, this was just... I, I don't even... One of the things that's kind of the part of the plot is that there's this billionaire this Arab billionaire that wants to bring salmon fishing to the Yemen. And so they're going to import all these salmon into the, into his country and create this like uh, sport. Is it explained and, how he discovers the sport of salmon fishing? Uh, I think he just, he's just always loved it or something. I don't remember why they may, they may have, I, I, it, it, I don't recall, but you know, trying to champion why that a billionaire gets his way is kind of like, he's not like trying to like solve, hunger or bring you know solve the hunger crisis or whatever in his country it's just so he can fish are you I, I, that he's playing games with people it's just not <laughs> I, I just it was hard to get behind it and then it's one of these you know emily blunt and ewan mcgregor don't like each other in the beginning and you know oh boy you know what's gonna happen <laughs> it's just it's you very know, I just it's wish very that my life was like that i mean i'd meet some a beautiful woman be like i don't like her oh i'm set I mean, come on! I just come on. Why, why, why is this stuff related only to the movies? Why can't we meet Emily Blunt? <laughs> oh, hear, hear more of Adam, Adam's rants and everything he loves about the movies. <laughs> <laughs> everything you always wanted no. to know. Dot blogspot.com. Uh, um, okay, so, so there, there's there's our brief thoughts on salmon fishing in the Yemen, which marks on. Um, I'm going to bring up Jeff, who lives at home. This is the new film from the Duplass Brothers. Everything happens for a reason, right? That's exactly it. Jeff! Pat? I was on the truck. The truck came here. Now you're here? I was meant to have a meeting with Destiny. Mom called. She's really pissed. Jeff's stuck. Maybe you could 
get him moving. Once again, I have to pick up your slack. What is wrong with you? Why do you want to live like this, drifting through this life with no awareness? What are you talking about? Uh, Jeff Lives at Home is a film with uh, Jason Siegel and Ed Helms as brothers, and um, Jason Siegel is Jeff, who, comma, who lives at home. And um, he's kind of a slacker, but he kind of gets into a he gets into a motion, he gets into kind of a vibe that things happen for a reason, and, which is kind of cheesy to say out loud. But he kind of gets into that mode, and it takes him kind of on a journey that leads him into his brother, played by Ed Helms, who's who Ed Helms' character is married to Judy Greer, um, his char- her character, and they they're having a bit of a fight and. It's a long day film, and it involves Jason Siegel and Ed Helms kind of dealing with possible problems on the marital front of Ed Helms' side. And at the same time, Susan Sarandon's also in this film as their mother, and she's in her own separate side plot, possibly dealing with a secret admirer. There's a lot of things going on all within one day, and it brings these characters all together in various instances. And um, I just want to say, overall, I like this film. I didn't love the film, but I like it. It's from the Duplass brothers, who previously... um, Previously made, um, uh, Cyrus was their last, um, big feature with, uh, John C. Riley and Jonah, Jonah Hill and Marissa Tomei. Um, I know, Adam, you saw that movie. Mark, have you seen, did you see Cyrus? Uh, I did see Cyrus, did, yeah. Did you like Cyrus? Yeah, I liked it okay. No, it, was, it was all right. Adam? I liked the early, the early going on. I think it really just doesn't get across the finish line. Yeah, I, I like Cyrus. I think Jonah Hill is quite good in Cyrus. I, that was a, that was a movie where I'm like Jonah Hill could do solid dramatic work in the future. That was the movie where I recognized. What was cool was we for that screening we got a bunch of T-shirts at our office and it said uh, "Seriously, don't fuck my mom." Yep. On the front, I had one of those shirts. Did you really? Nice. Yep, I got one of those. That was yeah, that was something to treasure. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, the Duplass brothers they're they're known for being heavily involved in the mumblecore film movement. Um, which is basically improvised films with no, with more of a um, here's what needs to happen, fill out the scenes, opposed to having a set established script. And but since then they moved on to kind of larger scale movies with bigger actors involved. So Cyrus was like that first one, and now the Jeff who lives at home is the their latest feature. And um, yeah, overall I'd say I like this. I like this movie maybe more than Cyrus, or maybe on about the same level. But I think it what it reminded me of a lot was um, me and you and everyone we know. Oh really? It's a movie I love. Um, That's a, the, I, I would have never. I don't know much about Jeff Lewis at home, but I would never have see, thought that seen that comparison coming. Yeah, and it's more of a, it's more of a just the way kind of, I guess how Jason. It's mainly Jason Jason Siegel's character, who I think is really good in this movie. I think he's really strong in this film, and even Ed Helms, I would I would think is quite strong in the film as well and it's neat to see these characters where they're like ed Helms in particular is playing a character that you've maybe seen before and then the way he evolves over the course of the film is kind of interesting and jason siegel it's nice to see him it's nice to see him um he's dialing down certain aspects of characters that he's played before and he's playing um i don't know about relatable but he's playing a more he's playing a different type of role than than he's than you've previously seen him in and it was neat to see those characters and susan Strandon's good enough in this film too she's not in it as much but um I say me, me and you and everything we know because um, everyone we know because um, I think Jason Siegel, his what his character's motives are are very they feel very familiar to me to characters in that film as well and um, I would I wouldn't put it on the same level as that film because again I love that but I love me and everyone we know and I recommend that to there's a lot of quirk involved in that movie that's for sure <laughs> and uh, that's a, a lot of what a lot of quirk but yeah I think uh, I guess it's billed as a comedy it's certainly 
it's funny in parts, but it's certainly more uh, on a. It's based much more in an emo, in an emotional place and in a dramatic in dramatic territory that happens to have moments of humor in it. And then it yeah. it gets to a, I guess the most splitting the, the the part where that will probably separate audiences on what they think overall of the movie is where the third act takes it, and it takes it to a place that one certainly wouldn't see coming. And I'd be I, if you guys had seen it, I'd be interesting to see your hear your response to that. But as it stands, I. I like where the film went, but I feel like it was stronger getting to where it went, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to bring in Jeff who lives at home. Cause I know that's expanding out wider, I believe. And it's, it's a film I'd recommend overall. I'd say, I'd say I, I like the two leads enough in the film that it's, it's, it's a good watch. Interesting. Any other, um, releases that you guys have seen maybe in recently that would kind of fit the bill with the rest of this episode? Um, there's a cool little movie making, the run at some festivals called uh, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. The Snows of Kilimanjaro? The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Uh, really interesting. It's a French film uh, about a, a man and his wife. Um, the guys had a job at this factory. I'm not sure if it's a factory, but some uh, kind of a, a, not an industrial, but kind of an industrial job for decades. He gets laid off um, because, you know, when they're doing the layoffs, he puts his name in the, in the, in the, in the pool, even though he doesn't have to, you know. So anyway, he gets laid off, and it's about kind of his adjustment to this new life that he's got. And then he and his wife are subject to some to a very unexpected act of violence. What becomes worse is they find out that it's someone that they kind of know. So then it's about sort of them picking up the pieces and it asks this question of whether or not a lifetime of principle will be overcome by them trying to deal with this horrible thing that's happened to them. So that's a good movie. It's a foreign film, you said? Yeah, it's a French, French film. Yeah. French, okay. Any other films, I guess, that are kind of in the, not so high in the in the box office, blockbuster realm, but more in this kind of area that we've been exploring for the past couple hours that you're looking forward to, by chance? Either of you? The Grandmasters, um, when that hits, I'm pretty sure that'll probably open at Cannes. Uh, that's Wong Kar Wai's version of the Ip Man story. Oh, ooh. Oh yeah, with Tony Leung as Ip Man. Oh, okay. Um, so that's one, and I really want to see uh, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, but for some reason I don't either. That hasn't played in our area, or I I can't find it, and I want to see this movie. So there's a movie called The Grand. There's basically another Ip Man movie that's coming out. Dude, Wong Kar Wai, The Grandmasters. I'm pretty sure it has. Um, I want to say it has, has Zhang Ziyi in it as well. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it has Zhang Ziyi, Tony Leung. And it's it's Wong Kar Wai doing a Kung Fu movie, which, it, come on, that's that's too awesome. Mark Wai, do you say anything? And oh, it's you, Chen Chen as well. So this this is another Ip Man movie, or? Well, it's his take. It's his version of the story. Oh, okay, yeah. It's so, not, like, part of the franchise. Are you guys, have you seen both of those? Yes, films? I have, yeah. Ip Man? And what was your thoughts on those? The first Ip Man I've been regarding as the Life is Beautiful of martial arts movies. Which means... Um, well, the first... <laughs> thank you. The, fir- the first half of that movie is focused on Ip Man and more his family and him doing the martial arts stuff. Then the second half gets into, now we're at war and we're all in... We're in some trouble now, guys, and I need to use my martial arts to save me. Is he smart speaking in Italian? <laughs> but in the same way that Life is Beautiful deals with more lighter affairs, and then it gets into darkness in the second half. That's how I think. Yeah, I think I, I liked the first Ip Man. I, I thought it was, it was entertaining. The second one I thought was a little bit like your standard Hollywood 
action movie. Yeah, basically, yeah, that's basically the way I regard it. That said, I think Donnie Yen is pretty fantastic in, the, in terms of staging the all very elaborate fight sequences that are yeah those those are good and and he underplays and he's very like this kind of quiet little yeah, man yeah. that actually packs a punch I, I like all that i like the character but uh, the second one there was a um i don't remember it's that american well, but thing right the american character. there was that there was that mark uh, the guy that he plays against him the he's some british he's supposed to be some british boxing champion and he was like so over the top, yeah. like like you know he doesn't show them any respect, and it's like just in case you don't realize that I'm I'm the bad guy, he belittles the culture of the country. Yeah, and yeah it's just so. I, I think I remember writing my review. I said he reminded me of Ivan Drago in uh, <laughs> the, the character in Rocky Four made him look like subtle. I mean, it was wow. It was really kind of silly, but anyway. So the so there's another. It Man movie called The Grand Man. Okay. Another one that's coming out. Uh, I'm not sure when it's coming out. It's probably. I think it's still making. Well, no, I know it's still making the the festival run. Two Days in New York is really good. The sequel to Two Days in Paris. Yeah, you brought this up before, I believe. On the. Uh, Did I? Okay. Yeah, with the with Chris Rock and Julie Delpy. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, it's still true. <laughs> it's still really good. All right. There's also a fascinating movie called um, The Life and Times of Aaron Newworth. The Legend Is Born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it stars Abe as me. It's weird. Uh, well, actually, you know, it's uh, Denzel Washington with the Benjamin Button uh, effect. De- De- Benjamin Buttonitis, I believe, is the disease. He's playing it. He's playing you. Mm, okay. Thanks. Oh, I'm, well, this is not an independent picture, but I'm looking forward to Dark Shadows, even though <laughs> Tim Burton has his, his, has not risen to the occasion, but I still, I keep, I keep hope. That it looks so good. I'd like I I'm in that same kind of camp where I, I want it to be good and I'm hope it looks very it looks more in line with something like he used to do, like Beetlejuice or Edward Scissorhands in terms of wacky thing goes on in a normal environment. Right. To an extent, even though it's like the seventies and Helena Bonham Carter's there. But uh, it's yeah, I would I like that he said it in the seventies. I like that. Yeah. Instead of like modern i i think i i like that better i'll say this when i saw the trailer i was like okay that looks kind of fun but then i told my mom about it and she watched dark shadows back when it was on as a soap opera and she's a huge fan of johnny depp and tim burton in general and she was like ecstatic about this show it's like yeah i want to see this movie so that made me more excited for it the yeah and it's, i know that have seen the the show when they saw the trailer or they they were like they were totally all about it and it's the cast it's got ava green michelle pfeiffer um uh, Chloe Moretz, that's that's good. Ava, like, Ava I, Green in a comedy, which is something that, that intrigued me right there, because I'm like, I, I keep seeing her playing dark characters or in dramas. Even and maybe uh, this guy has not even been on my radar, but Johnny, Johnny Miller. Miller, he's on there in there, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, there's a. It just looks really fun. It really does. It'd be nice to have fun watching a Tim Burton movie again. <laughs> I haven't had that in a while. I don't think. I liked um, Sweeney Todd. I, no, was... I, yeah, I like Sweeney Todd. Um, I, big uh, yeah, big fan of Sweeney Todd. I just. I, I think I just think back to Alice in Wonderland too much. Cause so you, really... I didn't know you felt that way. I, you felt it was kind of a misfire then? Alice in Alice Wonderland? Wonderland? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I felt the same way. I've... I thought Johnny Depp was not good either. I, It was just like, I don't know. He, he was sort of like doing a version of Beetlejuice or I don't know, but but not. And it, I just didn't think it came off well. I mean, he wasn't the only reason. It was just... Yeah, there was a I, lot of I, things that I had... Was the three D was distracting and and it was just over. There's so much stuff crammed into the frame and it was, it just needed. Well, who was the one? I think I liked. Um, I liked Helena Bonham Carter. As, yeah, I liked her as the queen. I, I liked, liked her. Yeah. Yeah, she was really the only thing that I really walked away saying, okay, that was that was good. I loved Johnny Depp in that movie. 
in... He had a surprising amount of pathos in that movie, that's for sure. Regardless, yeah! Regardless of if it was necessary, he's had a lot of pathos. Wasn't crazy about Helena Bonham Carter, ironically. And I think she's a fantastic actress, too. Oh, in uh, Alice in Wonderland? I thought she had the right sort of attitude for that knew, film. I think she knew the movie she was in. That's... Right. All right. My movie with her, though, is still uh, um, Conversations with Other Women. Or about, I forget, it's Conversations with or Conversations about Other Women. Oh, with Aaron Eckhart. That movie really just... I mean, I didn't realize how great of an actor she was, but wow. All right. Um, I think we've talked plenty about, well, all the movies that we've gone over. So let me just, I guess I'll take, I can just recap some of these that we've gone over. The Kid with a Bike is a movie that we we all liked. Uh, Separation's a movie we all loved. Friends of Kids is a movie that two of us were, you know, we were, it's good enough. Uh, Bully was a movie that has a lot of unnecessary controversy and, um... Is, it has a good message. Salmon fishing in I already forgot, and uh, Jeff who lives at home. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's good. It's good. So uh, yeah, that's the briefest of recaps there could have been. So I'm just gonna wrap it up then. Um, that's gonna do it this week with uh, Out Now Fair and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog site, thecodezeke.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews as well as uh, Blu-ray reviews at whysoblue.com. You can also find me on Twitter at twitter.com/slash/aaron's_ps3. Uh, Adam? You can find more of my work at Things I Know About the Movies, located at www.everythingyoualwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com, at moviesmackdown.com, and at twinner.com slash iltwinanarchist. And Mark? And you can find more of my work at fastfilmreviews.wordpress.com, fastfilmreviews, all one word, dot wordpress.com, and I'm also on Twitter at Mark underscore Hoban. Great. And, uh, yeah, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes and at hhwlod.com. We can find all of our shows there as well as the other shows on that network, such as the Walking Dead TV podcast, the Legion of Dudes, just a lot of fun podcasts of guys talking about games and movies and comics and stuff. And you can always find most of the new episodes on outnow.podomatic.com and a few exclusives. You can also email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can feel free to write in about, you know, possibly your favorite independent or art house releases that have come out in recent times or you know question why abe hasn't seen enough of these so he could be on this show with us and um you can also like our facebook page at facebook.com slash out now podcast all the shows get posted there as well as other things we like posting things on there and of course we now have our twitter page twitter.com slash out now underscore podcast so um that's it for this special bonus episode um i think this should be released before our next official episode which will be for the raid so that is going to be our next episode the raid redemption that is until next time uh, so long and goodbye and thanks for coming on guys by the way thanks for, oh, having, yeah, thanks for having me for sure. cool we are out See
And this is where Abe edits in start of the trailer for the kid with the bike. <laughs> Hi, Hi, Abe. Abe. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Abe. <laughs> <laughs>